here this morning. Join me in standing. I'll be reading Philippians chapter 2, 2 through 3. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Brother Marcus, will you open, open us up in a word of prayer? Join us to singing hymn number 23. There is power in the blood.
let's stand once again. We'll sing hymn number 230, Heavenly Sunlight. Hymn number 
Stand once again. We'll sing hymn number 143, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Hymn number 
in my moments of fear through every pain every tear there's a god who's been faithful to me when my strength was all gone when my heart had no song still in love he's proved faithful to me every word he's promised is true what i thought was impossible i see my god do been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, his love and mercy I see. Though in my heart I have questioned, even failed to believe, yet he been faithful, faithful to me. When my heart looked away, the many times I could not pray, still my God was faithful to me the days I spent so selfishly reaching out for what pleased me even then he's been faithful to me every time I come
Finished up in Luke uh, last week, preaching about the Good Samaritan, and uh, today uh, we find ourselves in Judges chapter 16. Um, I kind of got this thing I do most every morning. I get up and walk for about 30 minutes. And walking, listening to scripture this last week, this portion of scripture uh, hit my heart. Um, and as I'm, oh, I got to turn this on, don't I? I'm sorry. Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. Good to be in the Lord's house today, amen? Good to have microphones at work, amen? Good when the old preacher remembers to turn it on. Anyway, so... Um, most mornings I get up, walk, um, trying to keep some plantar fasciitis at bay and trying to battle some arthritis and so forth. And as I was walking, I was listening uh, to the Bible. Uh, kind of get two birds with one stone. I can get some Bible listening in. And so uh, this portion of Scripture was read. And as it was read, I began to think, oh my goodness, there's a great message here. And I actually stopped walking for a few minutes, took some notes, got back, finished my walking. And um, so I, I really feel that God led me this portion of Scripture for this message today. And I know we've been talking about love, and um, the message today, the real title of the message today is The Price of Sin. But then I put love with a question mark first, okay? Because we are talking about love, this actually, this story starts in the middle of a love relationship. It's between Samson and Delilah. And, uh, you know, you would figure that uh, someone who's totally sold out, sold in, uh, would be totally in. Uh, but we find that Delilah is willing to betray him for money. Uh, so there wasn't really love that existed in this relationship. Uh, and so. Uh, if you join me in Judges chapter 16, verse number 16, and if you found that and you can stand in reverence to the reading of the Word of God, that would be great. And I tell you what, let's just back up to verse 15. And she said unto him, this is Delilah speaking to Samson, How canst thou say, I love thee? And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, you don't love him because you're trying to sell him out for money. How can thou say, I love thee? When thine heart is not with me, thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass, when she pressed him daily with her words, and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death. Man, I'll leave that alone, but boy, I want to touch it, but it's like a rattlesnake, I'll leave it alone. Uh, verse 17 that he told her all his heart, and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her 
all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep, and said, I will go out as at other times before, and shake myself. And he risked not that the Lord was departed from him. It's got to be the, the saddest sentence in the whole Bible. Verse 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again, he was shaven. Then the lords and the Philistines gathered themselves together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw it, they praised their God. And they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy, and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and, they, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held, uh, led, uh, held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may fill the pillars whereon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women, and behold, while Samson made sport. And they beheld while Samson made sport. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for our time together today. I pray to God that you would open our hearts and our minds and make us receptive to your word, that the Holy Spirit might have power and freedom to move in our midst and in our lives, and Lord, that your will might be perfected in each one of our lives today. Lord, that you might be honored and glorified through each and everything that is said here. We pray that Satan would be bound from this place today, and that you might be exalted and lifted up, and that your work would be done in our lives and in our hearts. And if there be one here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, our prayer is that today they might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Thank you for your goodness and your love. And this time together this morning, we ask these things in your precious and most holy name. And all the people said, and you may be seated. So the price of sin, the price of sin. You know, Samson was a great guy. And we could look at Samson. I'll be honest with you. I look at Samson, I think, man, what must it have been like to be Samson? He was not only powerful and strong but he was very agile you remember that uh, one of the stories about samson is that he goes to a town and when he gets up they've locked the gate because they didn't want him to escape they thought they had captured him and he picks up the gate and the post thereof kind of reminds me probably something brother beavers would do picks up the post and the gates and he carries them up on a hill sets them down 
And when the city wakes up the next morning, they go, hey, what happened to the front gates? Who put them over there on that hill? How did they get over there? Samson was amazingly strong. Samson also, at the time that he's going to marry uh, the first time, he puts forth a, a riddle, and uh, the people he puts the riddle forth to uh, cannot figure it out, and so they come to his bride-to-be, and they say, you've got to find out what this riddle is, or we're going to burn you with fire. And so she lays on him and, and, and drags him down and drags him down to finally he gives her the answer. And right at sunset, the men of the city give him the answer. And he says, wait a minute, there's only one way you could have got that answer. You got that from the woman that's being my wife. And he goes out and he catches, I can't imagine this, 300 foxes. And he ties their tails together. And he sets them on fire and burns the crops of the Philistines. I'm telling you, he's just kind of amazing, agile, strong guy. But he was not too sharp. He had bronze. He had, I'm saying he probably had looks. He had quickness. He had speed. You would look at him and go, oh, hey, you know, it's kind of like the children of Israel did with Saul. Yeah, Saul ought to be king because he's head and shoulders above everybody else. He ought to be the one exalted. People look at Samson and they go, wow, what a great specimen of humanity. What a great guy this guy must be. And yet the truth of the matter is, is that what kindred him from being all that he could have been for the Lord was his own pride and selfishness. He didn't really care about bringing honor and glory to God. He wanted honor and glory for himself. He, Samson wanted what he wanted. That's the quickest way to say it. Samson wanted what he wanted. He didn't say, okay, God, what is your plan for my life? What would you have me to do? How would you have me to live for you? What are the things that are on my list of things I ought to do? And on that list of things that I ought to do, what are on the list of things that I should maybe withhold myself from that I might serve you in a better way? So Samson lived his life for himself. The story we find here today is he is with the wonderful woman, Delilah, and uh, again, uh, she is trying to find out uh, where his great strength in is, and uh, the Philistines have promised her lots of money uh, if, she, if she could find out the answer to that, and so he leads them in two falsities about that. He does get close to his hair. Uh, they weave it with beams, and he walks out, you know, and, and he shakes his hair, and uh, the beams fall out, and he goes ahead, and he wins, you know, great battle for the Lord. But uh, here we come that he finally gives up the secret. He finally tells the secret that he's been carrying all these years. Over 20 years, he's ruled, and so probably maybe 20 before that. So he's probably a 40, 45-year-old man at this time. And uh, he's been carrying this secret from birth. Uh, the children of Israel would automatically recognize him as a Nazarite because they would see the hair. And they would recognize, oh, the hair, you don't cut the hair when you're Nazarite, when you're totally sold out to God. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Philistines probably didn't recognize uh, what exactly was going on. And so Delilah is on him. And it, and it says that, he, that she vexed him that she vexed him and vexed him and laid on him and uh, wanted to know where the strength came from. What was it that made him so strong? And he finally gives in. 
He finally tells her, after she has vexed his soul to death, that means he just couldn't take it anymore. And rather than find a new woman, he tells her the answer. And so she makes him sleep, probably gives him some warm milk. He falls asleep. They come in, they cut his hair. He doesn't realize when he's awakened that God has departed from him and they capture him. And so let's look at this, what happens to him because of the price of sin. Verse number 21. But the Philistines took him. So the first thing we see is that Samson lost his freedom. The Philistines come in and they take him. They didn't, uh, I'm sure they didn't take him nicely. They probably threw him to the ground. Uh, They're trying to bind him. Samson has lost his freedom. Can you imagine what that must be like? You've been able to travel about, do whatever you want to. You're strong, you're fast, you're agile. You've been able to do whatever you want. And all of a sudden, all your freedom is gone. All your ability to move about and to do what you wanted to do is now under someone else's control. He no longer makes choices for himself. Sin has cost him his freedom. He's no longer on his own. You know, when we think about our lives, if we're not careful, sin costs us also our freedom. Sin will cost the freedom that we have in our lives to make decisions and choices. Uh, It may cause us to come to the point that we're no longer interested in reading our Bible. We're no longer interested in being in the house of God. We're no longer interested in making friends at church. We're no longer having our best friends to be spiritual friends. We we kind of, you know, begin by molding to having friends in the world and then maybe being involved in the activities that they're involved in, thinking that it's okay that, you know, I can be a witness and a testimony, and then that sin draws us closer to the world and further away from God, further away from the things of God. And before long, we find ourselves out of the ordinary. It's no longer my freedom. I no longer have the choices and the freedom that I used to have because now I'm being controlled by this sin. This sin is now the director of my life. The second thing that they did to him is probably one of the most painful. It says, and they put out his eyes. Uh, you know, there's several ways they could have done that. I'm not going to go into great gory detail. I have in the back of my mind how I think that they put out his eyes and and it was, uh, I imagine they wanted to make it very painful. He has afflicted lots of uh, issues in their land for years. And uh, they're probably getting a lot of pleasure out of seeing him suffer. And so this horrible thing was done to him. For the rest of his life, he would never see again. He would never be able to walk out and to witness a beautiful blue sky. He would no longer walk out and see beautiful green grass. He'd no longer be able to see a, a crystal clear water as it flowed down a waterway. He'd no longer be able to witness the beauty of, and the brightness of a wonderful snow. All these things were taken from him because his eyesight was gone. They had blinded him. He's never going to see again. He's never going to be able to witness the beauty that God has created. Sad part is, for a long time, Samson's been spiritually blind. You don't get to where Samson is without being spiritually blinded for a while. He is given his great strength and the ability that God has given him, and he's given it up so that he could get a woman off of his back, so he'd get her to quit vexing his soul, so that 
that he was just tired of hearing her nag about it. He just wanted to, to get her off, her off his back, and so he gives up that that is most precious to him. Yet he wanted to walk in the world and live as far away from God as he could. He was never satisfied with a Jewish woman. He always wanted a woman from, from uh, the world, from the Philistines, and so he's been spiritually blinded his entire life. You go back from the very beginning when he begins to seek a woman for his life, and he never seeks. As a matter of fact, his dad makes the statement, aren't the girls of Israel never enough? Aren't they never pleasing? And yet he wanted that from out. I have a friend of mine, I was visiting with him one day and asking him about his family, and he said, he, he begins, you know, to tell me about his family. And he said, you know, my older daughter, she wanted a worldly guy. She went and married a worldly guy, and it's just what she got. No longer in church, no longer cares about the things of God. And uh, lo and behold, he found another woman. He divorced her. I'm not saying that that always happens, but that's what happened in, in this case. And she's alone raising, a, a, at that time, a little two-year-old girl. But she got the bad boy from the world that she had always wanted. And then she ended up having the result of what happens to many that are in the world. She's having to raise uh, her child as a single parent. As children of God, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. We need to realize that we need our spiritual eyes upon him. If we don't keep our spiritual eyes upon him, there's no way we're ever going to keep our physical eyes upon him. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 18 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That sounds like America today. America today has no fear of God. They, they have no, no fear of what God has. As a matter of fact, uh, I've seen reels uh, online that say, I don't want to hear about your God. Don't tell me about your God anymore. I don't want to hear about it. But they fail to realize that it's our responsibility for God, before God to tell them about God, right? But there's no fear of God. In 1 John 2.11, it says, But he that hateth his brothers in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. We need to keep our eyes focused upon God, the things of God, the word of God, and not get blinded in, in our eyesight off of the Lord. Sin takes away our desire to be in the things of God, to hear the things of God, and to see the things of God. The third thing we see is that he loses control. This is much like uh, the first, but he loses control in the fact that we read, and they brought him down to Gaza. They didn't ask him where he wanted to go. They didn't care. Uh, they, they didn't make reservations for him in a nice motel or anything like that. He's blinded. He's having to be led about, and they lead him about like a dog, and uh, they, they take him down to Gaza, uh, and they take him, and uh, they bring him down. It's just kind of like what sin does to people. I've met people that have told me, I never thought I would get here. I never thought this is where I'd be. I, I thought that, that this was going to be my lot in life. And then I, I'll just give you an example. of When I was uh, working with the youth in Topeka, we had a young man. His name was James. James started our, attending our church. And and uh, there were times that James was working at a Ford dealership trying to sell Fords. Brother Jim, you'll appreciate this. And he'd call and he'd say, hey, uh, would there be any way that you could come by and pray with me? And I don't know how many times we knelt down 
in like a Ford conversion van and prayed that God would help James sell a vehicle because he needed to make the money. And, and so I'd pray that someone would buy a Ford. Sorry, but um, the repairman was happy anyhow. Uh, but uh, so, so, we, so I would pray with James, and I poured my heart into James. I, I loved him. He was a good-looking, handsome, strong guy, much like what I would kind of think maybe Samson was. He wasn't quite that buff, but I don't think Samson appeared just to be totally ripped. I think he was just kind of incognito strong. But James, so we'd go down and we'd pray, and, and then James kind of got successful, and James started selling vehicles, and James started making money, and the next thing you know, he quit, quit coming to church regularly, and next thing you know, he got him a girlfriend, but he got a girlfriend that he met out in the world, and she didn't care about the things of God. The next thing I know, I get a phone call probably three months later, hadn't seen James for a while, and he calls me, and he says, Brother Matt Sainz, I'm up in the hospital, can you come visit me? And I'm sure, yeah, tell me where you're at. Well, when I get to the hospital and I give them the number, they go, um, we're going to have to check the list to see if you can get in there. The narcotic area. He had fortunately put my name on the list. I was able to get in. He was in drying out. He had spent two weeks high, just totally high. Grown man. Come in, I sit on his bed. And he starts to cry. He's telling me about, yeah, I've, I've gotten into doing coke. and um, The only way I could afford to do the amount that I liked to do was I begin to sell coke. And he said, when you get pure coke, you step on it, you put talc powder in it, you kind of divide it, you, because it's strong enough, you can... If, you get, if you're buying good product, you can step on it, you can multiply it. And so I would step on it, and I would take a cut. And then I would sell what was left. And I got with some friends a couple of weeks ago, and we decided we were going to party the weekend. And he said, we snorted all of the product in our nose. I had nothing left. Nothing. He said, when I leave here, there's guys outside this hospital waiting for me to step out. They're going to take my life. I never experienced anything like this. He began to sob uncontrollably. And he go, would you hold me? I'm holding a 20-plus-year-old man. He's just sobbing like a baby. Because there's no hope in him. No hope in him. I said, there's always hope. Jesus is the hope. We got a hold of his parents. They came. He was from out in western Kansas. They came under the cover of night, grabbed him, and took him out of town. But don't think that you can play with sin and it's going to be a harmless thing. Because there's more testimonies of the life-ruining factors of sin than there is of joyous living because of all the freedom that they found living in sin. So, what happens? Sin comes. We begin to enjoy it. We begin to think it's us. It's gonna, the thing about sin is it takes us where we never thought we would go. 
marriages are ruined through adultery or pornography. It's usually little steps that lead to more steps and bigger steps until sin has complete control. It's a, a drink here, a drink there, and now you're an alcoholic. It's, it's a snort here, a snort there, and now you're a drug addict. Sin has, has a, becomes a driving factor in our lives. We're no longer in control. We no longer go to work just to make a little money so that we can enjoy life. We make money so that we can buy more whatever the substance is to make us happy or, or to meet whatever needs we think we have in our life. And before long, we realize that, that all we're doing is we're just living so that we can make money, so we can send more, so we can send more, and so we can send more. The fourth thing we see is that he loses mobility. It says, and they bound him with fetters of brass. Fetters is a really cool word. Fetters are for feet only, while chains are for the part of the body, uh, the upper part of the body. The fetters, usually made of brass, are in pairs, and they're for your feet. Their whole point is to keep you so that you cannot move quickly. His feet went the way that he was ordered to go. He was blind. He was led about. He had fetters on his, cheek, uh, on his feet. He had no choice. There was no way to run away. He was lock, stock, and barrel locked in. In the kind of contrast when we realize that in the book of Proverbs, it tells us the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We could flip this if we would and say the steps of an ungodly man are ordered by his sin. The steps of an ungodly man are ordered by his sin. The urges and the desires to fulfill this sin that's built in our life, whether it be pornography or whatever it might be in our life, we just can't get enough. It's never satisfied. It's never taken care of. It just wants more and more and more. The fifth thing we see is that he loses choice, and he did grind in the prison house. He got a new job in a new place. No pay and no benefits. He wasn't able to wander about and do his own thing anymore. He wasn't able to figure out if he was going to work that day or not. They made him get up. They made him go to work. They told him how hard to work. And when he wouldn't work, they whipped him. He had no choice in the matter. He did grind in the prison house. If you think about the phrase there, grind in the prison house, I wonder how many people today are grinding in the prison house. They've given their life over to sin. They're giving their life over to these things, and they're just grinding in the prison house. There's no joy. There's no happiness. There's no peace in their life because they're grinding in the prison house. His work and his effort was in the prison house. Sin creates a prison house. It is where the drug addict goes. The porn addict goes, the alcoholic goes, the bitter person goes, the liar goes. I mean, we just go on and on. Whatever sin it is, you've got a house that you live in. You're unhappy there, and you make everybody else around you unhappy, but that's what sin has done to you. It's put you in its own house. If you would, it's their own private hell. Grinding in the prison house. Imprisoned to their ways and their thoughts, their unwilling and inability and and unwillingness to function, to, to confess their sins, and to get right with God and others, and to do what is right. They'd much rather live in their own prison house. They give up their church attendance. They give up their Bible reading. They give up their praying time because they're in their prison house. It's where they're living. They're happy and content there. 
sometimes they realize the anguish of being there, but they have no way out. Six, they made a mockery of sin. This is probably the saddest point. Verse 23 and 25. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. And they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our company, our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may make us sport. So Samson's sin, part of the price was that it caused others to rejoice in their false god. Samson's god was not seen. Samson's god was not elevated. He's a judge. He's supposed to bring people to God. He's supposed to help people walk with God. But instead, they reject him, his god, and they rejoice in their false god. They praise their false god for delivering this man to them. They give their god thanks for deliverance. Then they call him to make sport of him. They call him out to make fun of him. I don't know about you, I've never liked it when people have made fun of me. I never liked it as a kid. And I kind of grew fast and was kind of awkward. And uh, smaller, more athletic guys, you know. And, and I was always like, if I just get my hands on you, that would stop. But uh, to be made sport of is not fun. They humiliated him and his God. They, they mistreated him. They abused him. When we think about it, they mocked him. And it was a contemptuous mirth. They made sport of him, and they jested about him. What an outcome for a Jewish boy. Here's a man that from birth was set aside to be a Nazarite. Here's a man who, as he's born, his mom and dad have such great hope for him. He's going to grow up. He's going to love God. We've been told that he's supposed to be a Nazarite. We're going to let his hair grow. We're going to let him do some great things for God. They probably prayed and, and asked God to do some great things, use her son in a great way for his glory. And here he is being mocked and made fun of. He's being made fun of for the God that he chose to serve. He's being made fun of for his upbringing and his lifestyle. It's sad to witness what people do to themselves always trying to find fault with the way that they were raised and the things that they came through. Listen, if God, God raised you different than someone else, maybe it was for his glory that he was trying to work in your life to try to tool you to be a tool for his honor and glory. But here they are mocking him, ridiculing him, making fun of him for the way that he, he was raised, probably making fun of him for the fact that he'd ever let his hair get so long and, and allow that to be a part. And, oh, yeah, your God said that you ought to do that. And he had no comeback. None. Sin will destroy you in any testimony that you've ever had for God. Can you come back from sin? Yes. But that's not what Samson does. Samson, in the midst of his sin, in the midst of the mockery, in the midst of all that's going on, being made sport of and all that, in the midst of all that, he doesn't see that any hope. He doesn't see any hope at all. And so what does he do? 
he prays for God one more time to give him strength. One more time that God would show himself mighty. One more time. And he commits suicide. What a sad thing. God never intended for us to take our own lives. And yet here's Samson in the midst of a hole of no hope, in the midst of adversity, in the midst of the, the cost of the sin that's piled around him. He's come to the point, I cannot numb myself any longer. I cannot do anything to, to make life any better. And so he prays, he asks God for strength, he pulls the pillars and the house comes down and they all die. They all die. If life, if you, in your life today, sin is taken hold, let me tell you, there is hope now. There's hope because God let, brought you to sit under the preaching of the word to realize there is hope. I don't have to finish my life separated from God. I don't have to finish my life walking away from God and the things of God. I can restore, I can be restored to him. But let me remind you of this. Maybe you're flirting with the idea of going out into sin. I don't know how many times I heard, you know, well, you know, go and sow your wild oats and then come back. Listen, don't ever sow the wild oats because you won't like the reaping of the crop. You won't like the reaping of the crop. The testimony that you have will be destroyed. And you'll never, never rebuild the testimony you could have once had if you decide to go in the world and live there and to have the pleasures of the sin for a while, and then I'm going to come back someday, I'm going to come back someday. And usually what happens is that person that goes out there is still enamored years and years and years later with the sin in their life. And when they finally do decide to come back, it's way too late. They're only a fraction of the testimony of what they could have been for the Lord if they just stayed with him. I encourage you, stay close to God. Don't be like Samson. What is the hope? The hope is to get close to God and desire to be with him. To set good role models for your children to follow. Develop good friendships that will encourage you in your walk with God. I cannot, I cannot overemphasize the importance of good friendships. Those friends that will not leave you when you're all alone, it's priceless. Stay in the word and stay on your knees. Stay close to God. And whatever happens... Sin does pop up in your life. Confess it. Get away from it. Get back to God. Get back to walking with Him. Lord Jesus, I love you today, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of Samson. Lord, it'd be great if we could just sit here today and preach about all the positive things of Samson's life, of you know what he could have done, and all that, all that stuff. Type stuff, But God, Samson, when we look at the whole picture, he wasted the life and the calling that you gave him. He chose through pride to serve himself. He chose to put himself first. Very little do we ever see of Samson putting God first. He always chose to put himself first. God, I pray as children of God, it'd be our desire to walk with you and to know you. To stay away from the prison houses that mark our landscape in America. 
to walk with you, to seek to be in your house, to know you, to read your word, to pray to you, to seek your help, to seek your guidance, that we might confess our sins, that we might keep our, our list of, of wrongs short and we keep them confessed and we stay right with you. God, I pray that you would help our young people, many of them coming to those important stages in their life where they're going to choose. Am I going to keep going to church? Mom and dad raised me to go in church, but you know, I've kind of thought that maybe I'll go over this way. I'll go over that way. God, I pray that you'd work in their life. I pray that you'd give them wisdom beyond themselves. Help them to see the great cost that's out there if they choose to walk away from walking with you. And as adults, Lord, it's so sad. I hear preacher after preacher that's chose to walk away from his wife, chose to walk away from pastor and church. And then we know that happens in the pews all the time. God, I pray that you'd help us to build strong marriages, to build strong relationships with you, to stay away from sin, just to love you and to serve you with our lives. Thank you for Samson's example. We love you. We ask these things in your blessed name. Amen. Whatever your need is today, I'd encourage you to come. We're going to sing just as I am. Let's stand. God spoke to your heart. Encourage you to come. Second is ladies' meeting, and uh, so that's uh, this Thursday, six o'clock here at the church. Uh, teen activity will happen on Friday, going to the Urban Air Trampoline Park, and uh, missions conference start next Wednesday, the twenty eighth. Hard to believe it's already here, twenty uh, eighth through the third. Looking forward to having the Grits with us, missionaries to England, uh, the Carters to Portugal, and then the Sandellas to Czechs. We're excited about having them. And remember that on Saturday, that evening at 5.30, we have our international banquet, and uh, so excited about that. And then each evening, um, we close service, we have desserts from the different, some different countries. And so it's a missions conference, always a great time. Uh, outreach, March 2nd at 9 o'clock. Teen cleaning, uh, March 9th at 10. Bring some money for lunch. Glory Bound's going to be with us from Heartland. Uh, this is a men's uh, quartet group. They're going to be singing March the 16th, which is a Saturday evening at 7 o'clock here at the church, and uh, sing for about an hour and a half. And uh, if you'd bring desserts, we'll have just a good time fellowship with them afterwards. Uh, looking forward to that. And then they'll be with us in the morning service and do some singing and uh, looking forward to having them. College days coming up March 10th 
or March 20th through 22nd youth rally on the 22nd and uh, man camp 22nd through 23rd a science sheet in the back prayer needs ask that you remember to pray for all these that are listed here think of Pat Price uh, having back issues Paul Durham had a episode this last week sure could use your prayers uh, Deborah Benson healing from her knee uh, surgery uh, baby Miles and uh, his family uh, still in the hospital so if you would pray for them in the bushes they made it home but could still use our prayers good to be in the Lord's house today let's go to the Lord in prayer and be dismissed Lord Jesus we love you we thank you for your great love for us Thank you for your Bible that is true, that we can go to to help us in our walk with you and our service for you. I pray to God that uh, you would go before us this afternoon, give us safety, and uh, use the message in our lives for your glory. Help us come back again at 1 o'clock for the afternoon service. We love you. We ask these things in your blessed and most holy name. Amen. And you are dismissed.